Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Last week, we heard from Roger and Michael Fisher, who co-founded the rock band Heart in the 1970s. If you haven't listened to that episode, check it out. Roger and Michael take you on a journey from their childhood growing up in the 50s and 60s through the 1970s when they formed the band, all the way through the formation of their new band, Roger Fisher and the Human Tribe. The feedback on that episode has been great, but even though last week's episode clocked in at an hour and 44 minutes and covers decades of their lives in the music industry, we just couldn't fit everything we wanted to cover in one episode. So we thought we would dig back into the archives of our talk with Roger and Michael and create episode six. In episode six, we talk in more detail about Roger's departure from the band, his breakup with Nancy Wilson, Michael's interaction with Anne and Hart's manager, Carol Peters, leading up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony, as well as Roger's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So please enjoy part two of my talk with Roger and Michael Fisher. It's great to be here. Brian, you fill me with disgust. The, uh, the interview is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, what, we, we got cut short a little bit uh, last time, and I wanted to make sure that we, uh, we followed up today and uh, touch on a couple of important things that we missed the last time. And one of them is the induction of Hart into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2013. And I, I wanted to um, ask you about that process of being nominated, first of all, and actually being inducted into the Hall of Fame and how, how that happened and what you remember about that process. Well, it was so uh, clear at the time that we heard that we were being nominated or no, actually inducted in 2013. Mike and I were busy at work in the studio, working side by side on our laptops. And I guess we saw it on Facebook that we'd been inducted, or, or I don't know how we heard about it, but uh, we thought, oh, wow, that's great. And then we went right back to work, you know, not thinking too much about it. But then I remember seeing Facebook just explode with excitement and people all enthused about this happening. And, and then I, I realized, shit, we're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> and then, uh, then it hit and I got really excited. And, and so at that point in 2013, um, had you been in contact on a regular basis with any of your old bandmates like Howard or Mike DeRozier, um, or, or was this a, the first time in many years that you had uh, had the opportunity to talk to them about this? I saw uh, DeRozier and Fossen kind of regularly at various concerts and that sort of thing. And then uh, I've always kept in touch with Anne, uh, not Howard so much and not Nancy so much, but... Uh, it certainly was a time to, uh, you know, celebrate the fact that we as a team did this thing. Yeah. So, like Raj said, we were in the studio and somehow got word of this, that we were being inducted. Mm -hmm. And then we got an email. Gee, I wonder if I have that email. 
yeah, I have an opinion about the way our band should be presented. I guess I still have a considerable pride of ownership. Do you know how the inductor is chosen? Who do you imagine has the best choice? Do you feel the rest of the band have any say in the decision? We get a little bit of information about the rock hall ceremony, but have more questions than answers. In imagining the reality of the original members being together again face-to-face, it seems like a potentially awkward and uncomfortable experience for some. I'm not speaking about myself here. I would love to see you and Nancy. It would make me incredibly proud to see everyone together on stage in the same spirit of love and mutual respect that generated our success. In order to be more comfortable again, it may be wise to have some interaction with each other before April. If you and Nance and Raj and I could sit together and then maybe have another visit later with the four of us and Steve and Mike, it could smooth the way for the presentation ceremony and ensure the best results. This is an opportunity to be a living example of the best qualities of the things that matter most in front of the world, the power of love and the importance of forgiveness. What do you think? Papa. So that was an that was an email to Anne yeah. from you, okay. And this is after you know, so you've been induct or you you know about the induction, right? Yeah, they're yeah. for just first finding out that yeah. this is going to happen, right? And then she says, uh, since we'll Hart be in Canada throughout March, and Nancy and Howard live in California, it's probably realistic to say that we will meet in California before the ceremony. For the record, I have no qualms about what's coming on April 18th, and Anthony is still a little more emo about it because she has two X's in the number, but I feel confident that I can help her relax about it. We will get through it just fine. Not wanting to meet these kids, mama. (laughs) (laughs) So so she's kind of saying we can get together in California maybe right before, but she's she's, she's not open to the idea of, Getting together well, with you and Roger. They're, yeah. she's, they're on tour. Yeah. For the whole time, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Should I read these? Sure. Yeah. And I watched the uh, last year's ceremony and was struck by how much I liked both Guns N' Roses and the Peppers. I did a show with the Peppers once. Somebody in the crowd pulled Flea's mic into the audience, cords still attached, while the band was playing. My monitor engineer was having a tug of war trying to get it back. Well, they pulled him right into the mosh pit and he disappeared for a minute or two and then was thrown back on stage, song still raging away, all bloody and beaten. I never thought I would like that band after that. Before the Peppers played last year's ceremony, Flea made a passionate, heartfelt speech that put me in an open mind. When they performed, I thought he was fabulous. I understand Nancy's situation. I guess that is mostly why I wrote. I want the best for all of you, and just getting through it would be a missed opportunity of a much-needed public reconciliation. Roger and I will be at NAM on the 25th through the 27th. Maybe we can visit with Nancy and Howard then if you were in town. I have some great ideas for the perfect persons to introduce you. Since you are not supposed to know, I will forward my suggestions to the Rock Hall. Maybe they hadn't thought of these people. It would probably be unlikely they could do it anyway, but if they were able to, I know you would approve and be happy. Pops. So that was your email in response to Anne talking about the peppers. or No, that know. was in response to 
um, her, it was just a follow up. Follow up email. Yeah, okay. Not, All right. Not really in response. All right. Hmm. Well, I don't know where this email is. There's some missing here. I think it's probably from Carol Peters, but basically we were informed that what songs were going to be played. And in, in that email, they said that uh, Crazy on You is one of the songs, but without the guitar solo, which enraged Raj. Yeah, so my reply was, this arrangement is too slow and the guitar solos are missing. I think fans would be disappointed with this. Wow. I think you basically, didn't you tell them that you weren't going to play if you didn't have a, if you, they took the solo out? Uh, no, it doesn't say that on <clears throat> this one to the band. While this was happening, we were recording with Mike DeRozier for Roger's All Told album. Yeah. And Mike just flat out said he wasn't going. Huh. And um, we had some long talks where we tried to convince him that he should go. <laughs> and he was uh, just adamant that, that he had wanted nothing to do with the those yeah. people. Yeah. So let's see. I guess uh, uh, at this point it would be a letter to Carol Peters. We arranged to have a phone call with her uh, because we didn't like the way they were characterizing uh, the way the event should take place. They were going to play oh, Alone, I think, which wasn't part of the catalog of the original Heart members. And we thought, you know, if it's the original band being inducted, you should play the original band songs by the original band. So anyway, they told us that... Uh, I believe that we were just going to be playing crazy on you and they were going to have some other people play Barracuda, which just was mind boggling to us. It felt like, you know, that's not what the people are coming for. Right. It's not what's being represented. Uh, well, you know, even though you guys, when you're on stage, um, you know, when, when I was listening to the speeches and I was really paying attention, looking for, you know, body language. I didn't really pick up on any awkwardness in that way. Um, but I thought it was really strange to have a, you know, to swap out band members between songs and to have a completely different lineup play Barracuda. Well, you know? from where I was, the, the screaming and booing and yelling was so loud. I was concerned that, that the band would hear it, but once the band started playing, it drowned, kind of drowned out the people, but they were, they were absolutely furious. Just, there was this one lady, oh, I don't know, 20 feet away from me. I'm pretty sure she was really drunk, but she was screaming her head off. She was so pissed off. She said, I flew out here from Ohio to see this. You know, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, she was so mad. Anyway, I wrote this letter to uh, Carol after we had our phone call. Carol, thanks for the call the other day. <clears throat> Roger and I enjoyed speaking with you, and while we don't see some things the same way, we do agree on most things. I've been a casual observer of what you have been doing with the band. It was very clear from our phone call that you are a passionate advocate for Anna and Nancy. 
when you were talking about how hard you have worked for 11 years for the girls, believe me, I know exactly what that is like. I admire and respect your commitment. The girls deserve nothing less. We initiated contact with Anne and you after receiving communications from Anne and the current heart organization indicating that it has been decided that the performance at the induction ceremony will consist of Anne and Nancy and the current keyboardists performing their excellent song alone. Parentheses, not from the inductee era. Parentheses. Followed by a shortened version of the original group song, Crazy on You, with the guitar solo removed performed by the original group. Then the original group is asked to exit the stage so that the current heart members can perform the original group's signature hit song, Barracuda, which was authored by Roger Fisher, Ann Wilson, Michael DeRozier, and Nancy Wilson, with great support and collusion from Steve Fossen and Howard Lease. Areas of Mutual Agreement and Contention We agree that there will be an event to honor Ann and Nancy Steve Fawson, Michael DeRozier, Howard Leeson, Roger Fisher, and that they are the inductees into the Rock Hall of Fame. We agree that we have many common interests in this event. We agree with your suggestion that falsely advertising something is dangerous and potentially detrimental. We do not seem to agree that preventing the original members from playing their own music is false advertising and potentially detrimental to all concerned, including the Rock Hall's reputation and credibility. You approve and desire to have others copy Steve, Michael, Howard, and Roger's parts and perform their music to an audience expecting to hear the original authors uh, and performers in spite of the fact that they are present on site for the very purpose of being honored for this creation. We suggest it would be possible to explore with us a mutually satisfactory win-win solution and have had no further communication from you about this. We agree with you that Anne and Nancy have gone on from the original group to build a great and lasting career worthy of honor and celebration in its own right. We do not disagree that you have worked tirelessly for 11 years to promote the current version of the group. You are working with an established, respected, proven group of, with resources and your own 30 years of connections and goodwill in the industry. And surely you know it is not easy to attain success. Having done this, you should be able to recognize and appreciate what an achievement the original group accomplished. Starting with nothing, not even enough food, knowing no one, having zero connections, with the artists still learning to sing and play their instruments, in three years, from 1972 to 1975, the original band managed to somehow <laughs> miraculously transform themselves into a live performing group that was as good or better than any other at the time and produce an album that has sold in all its various versions over six million copies. They did this without any major label backing on a tiny unknown record label from Vancouver, Canada, and then went on to do it again and again and again with the original members. You mentioned the stress of having to sell 300,000 tickets this summer with Hart's current lineup. In its last year together, these inductees were doing that in a few weeks. That is clearly the achievement deserving honor and recognition, and that is what the public is expecting. It does not diminish anything Annie and Nancy have done since. It is the rightful first step in honoring the long story of their career. 
True greatness is rooted in authenticity. Anything false or non-authentic related to the original group is a step backwards for Anna Nancy and will not enhance their public image. I'm not saying these words on behalf of anyone and hope it's received in the spirit intended. I make these statements out of deep love and respect for all the band members and out of concern that each of the inductees receives the proper honor and respect they have so rightfully earned. It is not right that the original band be forced to stand by while others play their music at their induction. Specifically, the original harp music should be played by the original members. Do have it any other way as a dishonor to the inductees and a disservice to the fans. Yours truly. God, wow. that's a, just a great letter. That's powerful. Yeah, but, and that uh, that came following Anne's exit, stage left, <laughs> where she turned it over to Carol. She said, I hope you really don't want it. Uh, she said, I hope you understand. I really don't want to discuss the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame events. Right now, what I'd like to say is, I have tried to imagine what it's like being you watching us back then. I guess that's in a previous email. I had told her how much I enjoyed those years of working with her as, uh, you know, out in the audience, you know, in the middle of it, what we created together. Right. Um, it's like trying to imagine another dimension, though, especially when we were so young. It was easy to feel hurt or squashed by some of those necessary corrections. Oh, she's talking about how I guess I was kind of apologizing for being overly critical sometimes, trying to guide them and direct them and help them polish their performances, uh -huh. uh, especially just fresh from stage, which many times included a true lightness of being. I never felt I was training for something, but rather opening a flower in my soul that allowed my heart to sing out. Silly, but 25-year-old girls <laughs> can be a soft and vulnerable lot, especially the strong ones. As it turned out, you were absolutely right in, in your guidances. With your help, I learned much better form, learned how to push myself as a performer to better connect with the people and to do so with awareness. I never want you to feel those lessons were useless or scorned. They're built into me now and, I, and have helped me all these years more than you'll ever know. Sometimes rough things needed to be said to help Hart get off the launch pad. So anyway, that letter to Carol did nothing to change anything. Right. <laughs> I also sent it to the band members. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the Well, the, I guess it letters, did something you know. because uh, we got the solo back in there. The mm -hmm. solo yeah, was, that was allowed. Great. Yeah, that yeah. was great. <laughs> that was great. And, but right. I think you, they you, didn't do alone. Didn't they do Dreamboat Annie instead? I'm not sure. I can't remember. I just watched it too. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember what the, the song was that they picked. Well, here's <laughs> Anne's follow-up letter <laughs> after the event. Might be kind of interesting. Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, she said, I thought under the circumstances, everyone acted in a respectful adult way that evening. There were powerful emotions from all sides. I'm so glad that they received this honor. All the guys certainly deserve it. I believe we all do. Even a couple who weren't selected to be up there the other night. Hmm. Great shots everywhere. Great feedback on the band performance. So, yeah. 
and the performance was fantastic. I mean, it was, it was like you had never broken up <laughs> mm. to see up there on stage. But anyway, so yeah. when the band broke up, it was uh, really uncomfortable, really, really difficult. I was voted out of the band in 1979. And uh, geez, a lot of what went on before I was voted out was pretty outlandish. And it wasn't my best moment <laughs> in the sun. Yeah. I remember seeing the the scene on YouTube where you're smashing the guitar on stage and I don't know what was, was, I, I assumed that it was, it, it had to do with the breakup and. No, we did it. And you know, it was what it was, but it was definitely not comfortable. <laughs> oh, and probably, you know, taking the, the sweetness of the moment down a couple of notches, <laughs> I would imagine, you know, when you're worried about the, the tensions as opposed to just embracing the, you know, the incredible accomplishment of being inducted, you know? Yeah, it was definitely a, a minefield that had to be tiptoed across. Yeah. And afterwards, um, did you make amends with Ann or Nancy in any way after the uh, Hall of Fame induction? Or has it been kind of back to where you were before it happened? We, I think we all acted uh, complimentary and that sort of thing with each other, and but we just acted uh, obligingly correct toward each other, I would say, is the way to put it. So how, how does it work at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You said, I think I heard you say that they, they inducted the, the original version of the band into the hall, but does that mean that the newer members that joined in the 80s or 90s um, were not they're not officially part of the induction yeah, yeah. that's what that means and yeah. uh they were really really hurt by that yeah so the newer members were hurt by that yeah, yeah. mark andes and danny carmasi they played with them for like seven years uh-huh they were <clears throat> they had a table were they at the table i don't think so yeah so they had a table for each band in front of the stage and they also had tables for people to buy ten thousand dollars a table and our family bought two of them <laughs> uh, i wasn't at one of those tables though because i felt like i should have been invited to the band table or close right you know? right and uh but the only people at the band table were the original members and their spouses. Yeah, Ann and Nance were at a table, and the rest of the band were at another table. Mm. Yeah. Who was at their table with them? I don't know. Carol Peters, probably. Oh, yeah. And maybe Kelly Curtis, I'm not sure. So so what was Kelly Curtis's involvement in the band back in the 70s and 80s? And folks, just so you know, the Kelly Curtis we're talking about here is the Kelly Curtis who would later become the longtime manager of Pearl Jam and Eddie Vedder. Well, he was uh, uh, Anna Nance's neighbor uh, when they were very young and friends of the family. And uh, when we started going out on the road a lot, uh, I suggested that we have uh, Kelly. He was your housekeeper, wasn't he? Well, yeah, he was our housekeeper. Right, he was our housekeeper, and he could take 
good photographs. He had a good camera. And I suggested that he come on the road with us and kind of do on the road what he'd been doing for Ann and Nance, for Nance and I, on a personal level, for a couple of years already. He did their shopping and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, he just took care of the cars and the dogs while they were gone. Uh-huh. And then when we were on the went on the road, he was he would handle the bags. He, you know, he rode in the baggage compartment of your dad's plane, <laughs> <laughs> and we liked to play tricks on him. Um, one day we coordinated with your dad to to uh, that we would all scream at once when your dad went into this big dive when Kelly was asleep because he would always fall asleep in the back. Yeah, so. <laughs> The plane goes into a sudden dive and we all scream and Kelly wakes up and the plane's going down and uh, it was, you know, that's kind of stuff that went on. Practical jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys still maintain uh, contact with Kelly at all? No. No. So Roger, you know, one, one of the themes of this podcast is trying to trying to discover turning points in people's lives, you know, whether it's successes or failures that, that send artists in a certain direction and, um, learning from particular setbacks and hurdles and things like that. So I'd I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about that. As you look back on the, the incident, where you smashed the guitar and then you're later voted out of the band. Um, what were you thinking in that moment about your, your future in music? And do you think that that was important and formative for you um, to become the artist that you are today? Oh, it was a huge lesson. Several really important lessons were learned in, in, in all that. Uh, let's see. So shortly after I was voted out, I vowed to become a really good musician. And I started taking vocal lessons two hours a day, five days a week, and just started writing songs like crazy. And about a year after I had been out, I realized that uh, that I had and my compatriots were probably in the same boat. I had created this bubble of non-reality around me. I, I hadn't created it as much as let it happen, where I was this very important figure uh, who should be treated a certain way, uh, Entitlement. I, I was entitled to blah, 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 because I was this great rock star. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a year after uh, leaving the group, I realized, man, <laughs> that's not reality at all. You know, everybody is exactly the same. There is no person that's any better than another person. We're all struggling. We all have our... Uh, moments of greatness and our moments of not greatness. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're all striving and evolving. And to think that anyone is entitled to something more 
than any other person is uh, just an illusion. And that uh, truly we are all in service to what keeps everything and everybody alive. And to not recognize that and to go ahead and uh, act from this position of power, condescending, arrogant, was really not what I wanted to be or do any longer. And I vowed that I would never let myself get in that space again. And because of that, uh, people regard me as, you know, like there are comments like, you know, I was expecting to see a rock star today, but I just saw you. <laughs> and, and I like that. You it's know? a compliment. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, now at live performances, when I speak to the audience, it's not like this great rock, legendary rock god. It's like one of them, but I'm on the stage and we're having a conversation. And they really appreciate that. It's more real than the alternative. Yeah. Well, and I, I noticed that when you had the high school kids up on stage in, in Edmonds, you know, you're you're one of them. They're you know, one of you, I mean, they're rock stars up on that stage, just like you, but you're a human being, you know, just like them. And there was this camaraderie and, and rapport there that you see on stage. And, it, and what I also noticed was a real joy in just being there, you mm -hmm. know, being there, playing music, talking to the audience, uh, telling stories. And I guess what I'm wondering is how how it is that you're able to continue making music and performing when um and i was talking to your brother michael about this before you got here it seems like the it seems like the entertainment industry is a very difficult place to maintain a foothold that you, you constantly have to be writing, you constantly have to be performing, you have to be selling tickets. And so there's this resistance, almost like the, the ocean, when you go swimming in the ocean, it's, it's pushing you out <laughs> with these waves. And I, I was using that analogy with Michael this morning, that the, the entertainment industry is, is pushing people out. You know? So how, how did you do that from on your own? from 1979 or 80 when you left the band all the way through when I saw you up on the stage in Edmonds a couple of weeks ago. How did I do what? How did you stay, stay in it and continue to, um, make music and perform and, you know, w what were the struggles that you faced to be able to continue creating? Well, uh, there wasn't any struggle to keep creating or continue music the struggle is you know improving and evolving as an artist but an artist can't not do their craft and so there's no struggle you know uh, yeah it's it's you you're just doing what you love and and you can't not do it was there any point in your career um where you knew that 
this is what you were going to do. Oh, absolutely. It was before I uh, uh, knew how to play very well at all. I think I was 15 and I was mowing a lawn and uh, I had You Really Got Me by the Kinks going in my head and I saw myself on a uh, stage in a big room uh, just, just rocking so hard with this feeling inside that was huge energy and I knew that that's what I was going to do. Wow. So 15 years old, you, you don't even really know how to play guitar that well you're mowing, you're mowing the lawn listening to the kinks and then there's in, in my mind yeah the, and, and there's a, a light that goes on yeah, yeah. I, I mean i just saw myself on a big stage just really rocking out with major energy to a lot of people and there was no doubt that that's what i was going to do did that ever change or has it always been the same uh, there intensity are, there are other visions that i've had that that haven't uh, come to fruition yet that were scary because they indicated uh, a dangerous place to be. And I won't pontificate on, let's see, that's not the right, I won't elaborate on, on those visions, but uh, they implied huge success. And I've always balked at the danger aspect of huge success. So Maybe that has something to do with why it's taken so long to uh, get to the point where we might actually have any success with our uh, with our you know newer original music, right? And c can you tell me more about the the One Vision project and help me understand um, the you know what what you're trying to accomplish with that? Right. So. I left Hart in 1979, uh, built a studio in my home, and uh, con continued to write and record and become a better guitar player, better singer, better songwriter, and didn't really perform live all that much. We put groups together, together every now and then and went out and did some touring, but generally just really uh, kept developing songs. And... Uh, in 1995, I recognized that my efforts, my motivation, uh, didn't, weren't coming from a place that I thought was worthy of the craft itself. To me, music is absolutely sacred because it touches people so deeply, and you need to be producing it from the right place inside yourself for it to be worthy of communicating to anybody if you're not doing that you've got no business being a musician i thought and i didn't know what i should change so i prayed for guidance uh vowing along with the prayer that i would accept the direction given and devote my life's focus to that so within two weeks i got these uh this rush of ideas coming in about a, a a project that was a four album concept package where each album each album's art is one quarter of the big picture that is the album cover for the four albums and that the reason and 
the vehicle that the music will be made is to uplift people and help them get in touch with their spiritual self. Because I recognize that the course that the planet seemed to be on was so wrong that we are doomed. And, <laughs> you know, the, our greatest hope is to get people to recognize their own spirit. Because as soon as you do that, you kind of abolish negativity and anger and uh, the injurious parts of uh, what a human can be and ascend to a place of kindness, compassion, and uh, love. And that, that, that is humanity's only hope, is that we can get a bunch of people doing that. So that became the foundation from which all future work emanated from me. And there's always a little bit of something in the songs that are designed to uplift a person or enlighten person and a, a person a little bit. Yeah. So that was the that was the uh, start of the One Vision project. And all told, is that part of the One Vision project? Yeah. That. Uh, so I had the the album titles all told: uh, Forest Rain, Evolution, and Big Game. And there were good reasons for those titles. And uh, each of the four albums has its own element, its own season, uh, and its own place in the context of the overall picture. And then All Told proved to be worthy of its title when Mike uh, conceptualized it being the story of a life of a human. And it relates to many, many people in that we all have the same experiences of being young and naive and falling in love, getting your heart broken, uh, having trials and tribulations that you have to go through, having death in the family, uh, moving past death and seeing a relationship with your creator that is beyond uh, your physical being, and then finally saying goodbye to your body and moving on. That is all in that album. Have you ever um, read or heard uh, Michael Mead? No. Have you heard of him? He's, um, he's a writer and a podcaster and a storyteller, um, but he's a very spiritual guy. And I, I met him for the first time. He lives on Vashon Island. And I'll have to send you a link to his podcasts. They're pretty cool. But he's written all these books. And, and he his spirituality and his approach to, um, I don't know, philosophy of life, it sounds, the, the reason I asked you that question is, it sounds a lot like what you just described. You know, your, your approach to spirituality. So I think you'd like to mm -hmm. hear from him. He's a cool guy. Um, but... Uh, so, Michael, how are you involved in the One Vision project um, currently? And what are your plans to help carry out the, the vision? Well, it's, it's really interesting. I, I kind of arrived at this place uh, of the One Vision concept independently of Raj because the way I got back involved in working with Raj was when we were in Norway uh, 
on a trip with my sister and him, he asked me to get back involved in the project that we had started when we left Harp. And, you know, we started a project together that we didn't finish. And we recorded a lot of material over a course of five or six years. And it was always something that we both intended to get back to. And then that trip to Norway was following the death of my my parents. And it was sort of a period of time where you're you're kind of acquiring a bucket list of things that you want to get done before you go move on to, you know. And so that really brought the whole thing to a head to, to think about doing this. And so I took a couple of years to think about it. <laughs> and then when Raj played one of his new songs for us at a family gathering, I decided that he was such a good songwriter and so deserving of my support that, that I wanted to help him. So I asked him to give me all of the songs that he had written because he never stopped writing song ever. I mean, just always being a creative artist keeps more and more, just keeps coming. So he gave me hundreds of songs, which I enjoyed listening to while I, I was hiking in the mountains, which I was doing three or four times a week back then. And uh, in listening to those songs and thinking about what, would make something successful. At that time, I was investing in Apple. And, and the way that I approached investing was I would study different companies and really go into detail on them. And with Apple, they had, uh, well, Steve Jobs had also invested and helped start Pixar. So I, I was really keen on the way they had approached becoming successful at what they did and and it was based on story and the importance of story and what they did was key to to why they were so successful and i thought well gee the same would be true for what raj is doing you know it's and i wondered is there a story there and so i started listening from that perspective and i i felt that yeah there's a fantastic story here and then I saw this album cover that Raj had in the artwork and I thought and I got I thought about the concept of of one vision and and the spiritual threads through the music and it it just all I understood what he was trying to do although we didn't talk about that at all I just I saw it I saw what he was tr- intending and and I thought yeah this could really work the the all told album could be like an overture to a whole artistic body of work. It could be his life told in these songs, but it's not just his life because these epic events that happen in these songs are common to everybody. So it's it's like a story for everybody. And so I laid out an order of songs that kind of depict a human life, and, and it all made sense. And I envisioned... The body of work not just being four albums, but being four themes that you could put many albums under each theme, but you know, so there's no limit to what it could be, or even that it had to be just Roger. It could be other bands too that could fit into this one vision concept. The other thing that occurred to me at the time was that the 
problem in the music business at that time. A lot of record companies were failing, and and everything was changing to uh, a different kind of model of compensation for the artist. And it occurred to me that branding was really important, and that a company could be really successful if it created a brand and had products under that brand that they could sell besides music because music wasn't selling. People thought music should be free. And I have no problem with that as long as we can make some money some way and support our, our, our you know, passion here. So we started thinking about what products we could come up with. So it just so happened that Raj wanted to come up with a tea that would help with hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> and much more. Yeah. That's a pretty more. universal So name. he was playing around with yeah. these different herb combinations, and he came up with this tea, and I tried the tea, and I thought, wow, here's a product we can brand. Great. Let's call it Human Tribe Tea. So that's what we did. And and then and this was really prompted. Uh, this I mean, this idea was... Uh, really powerfully proven to me when when we uh, did the Hall of Fame and Raj created these little plastic necklaces that were like guitar picks and people bought them like crazy, you know, and you couldn't get them to buy fantastic music that you make, but they'll buy these little plastic picks, you right. know. <laughs> God, <laughs> it's silly. But people like things that they can hold and own and stuff you know and so when you're when you can just download anything off the internet it, it the value of it kind of decreases but so that's how i got into one vision well you've been so generous with your time thank you again for meeting hey thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed today's episode of the dream path podcast if so i have a favor to ask can you go to your favorite podcast service and give me a rating and review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. I appreciate your time. And as always, go find your dream path.